don't believe, I always think that all this bullshit about to provoke you a little bit more, this is superstitious logic. It's pure ideology. You know this ecological bullshit like... Uh... Hello, welcome to the end of the world. This is Anthropocene's episode 49. And today we are talking about uh, Outbreak from 1995, uh, directed by uh, Wolfgang Peterson, and then Contagion from 2011, directed by Steven Soderbergh. Uh, Soderbergh's, yeah, repeat offender for for double S. Um, Wolfgang Peterson, first time, yes. probably the last time. Uh, Peterson, it's the first film of his we're watching. It'll be the last one um, for for yeah, a number of reasons. That uh, that movie is awful. So bad. I don't remember it being that bad, but of course I haven't seen it since I was like a child. So I had sense. never seen it. Here's my biggest critique. Why does every scene take place at 11 a.m. in the morning? And it, it is and the you know brightest what? movie that's ever been made. And you know what? That's like the most like of all the critiques you could have had. That's one of the more nuanced ones. Well, it's it's like there's no shadows. They're like, we are not fucking with cinematography. Diseases only happen in broad daylight. <laughs> you can't see all the Wait, cool special effects if it's dark. I'm telling you, there is something disturbing about the level of shittiness you know, to that movie. I hadn't even thought about that aspect of it, but now that I'm like looking back on it, that is really bizarre. Anyway, uh, can you think of one night scene in that movie? No, I can't. Like the it's, it's night all never comes. Cloudless blue sky at 11 a.m. What it kind of makes me like imagine a, a meta movie where they're spending the whole time trying to f- solve this viral outbreak, but the real problem is the world's ending because the sun hasn't set in a week. <laughs> yeah. They didn't consider like the environmental factors causing this. Uh, like the, if the movie had taken place in like Alaska, maybe that would make sense. It takes and, place and above the Arctic circle. Here's another thing. Uh, the like shaman guy that they show in the village. Why does that matter? It doesn't. He just dis- he just disappears. They're like he's like oh uh, he believes that the uh, you know this is a curse brought on by uh, you know a, a punishment for cutting down the forests because there's some sort of sacred element to the forest and then he just never comes back in the movie it's just gone and they the, were just like environmental angle check and then they moved on to blow shit up in helicopters well, and, and okay so that i mean okay we'll just start with outbreak because there's just too much to 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 push to the side we gotta i, I gotta get this we, we got yeah we I mean, got it's, it's been a burden on me since we gotta go in night. on this movie no so the africa scene like all the africa scenes are just like incredibly fucked up but something that stuck out to me is the uh the actor that plays the, I guess, the doctor or the head of the village when uh, Dustin Hoffman shows up. Um, I forget it. His, I'm looking at his name, his name, but I can't remember how. Is it Zakes Mokay or Zakez Mokay? I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. But he's a, a South African actor. And he um, is a pretty like well-respected South African actor. And he was in this uh, made-for-TV version of Master Harold and the Boys, which is a Athol Fugard play that I've actually taught in class before. So I'm used to seeing him in like a really well-written, like heart-wrenching role. And in this, he's literally just like 
scenery <laughs> that doesn't you matter can, at you, all. You can say that just about anyone in the movie. You've got like Dustin Hoffman, Morgan Freeman, Kevin Spacey, Rene Russo, Donald Sutherland, uh, Donald Sutherland, Patrick Dempsey yeah, is I, in the movie for like two minutes. <laughs> and you're used to seeing these people in good movies. And I cringed so many times. The Dustin Hoffman at the beginning when they're trying to like endear you to him when he's like talking to his dogs, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, it's just painful. And, uh, the arguments that he, that Dustin Hoffman keeps having with Morgan Freeman's character. I've never, I've never thought Morgan Freeman was a bad actor. And when I text you last night, that's what I was referring to. It's like, acting maybe i've said this on the podcast before acting is editing or it is directing you cannot have a good performance with a bad you know with bad filmmaking uh you can have a bad performance i think with good directing but you can't have a good performance with bad directing no matter how talented the actors are Uh, because it's so much about timing there's a there's a moment where Morgan Freeman sort of stands up and is kind of uh, yelling back at Dustin Hoffman. And it's like the edit, it's like they just waited too long. There's like a half second before he, before he says what he's going to say. And it's just unprofessional. It's, it's hard to watch Morgan. You know, you've seen this guy in like Shawshank Redemption and all these great movies. And you're like, what is happening here? This is after Shawshank. <laughs> After a lot of things, uh, I mean, God, yeah. Um, so my theory, and there are a couple moments that I think back this up, is that the actors weren't really taking this movie seriously as they're making it. And there are a few scenes that just seem like they cannot have been a sincere final cut of a scene. Uh, so like... <laughs> Like Dustin Hoffman, Cuba Gooding Jr., who can magically fly a helicopter, and the helicopter is also magic because it never runs out of fuel, and also it's never nighttime. Uh, they get in the helicopter, and I forget what he says, but it's like uh, Dustin Hoffman's like, they're going to kill everybody in the town because they 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 want their weapon. And he says, well, they wouldn't do that. And he's like, no, they want their weapon. And he just keeps repeating they want their weapon and like <laughs> yeah. not making eye contact with Cuba Gooding Jr. And it, it seems as if it's a blooper. But they just are like, okay. And then at the end, Cuba Gooding Jr. just goes, okay, and like puts on the headphones. If I'm not mistaken, they go for a little longer talking. And then uh, Dustin Hoffman lets Cuba Gooding Jr. finish his line. And then he says, they want their weapon. <laughs> yeah, it, it's... it's just says it real quick. Okay. Like that cannot be the final cut of a scene. Like, that's, like it's too... It's either amateurish on the part of, like you're saying, the the director and the editor, or it's Dustin Hoffman just not t- giving a shit about this movie. I I two time Oscar winner if, Dustin Hoffman if he if he I guarantee he hasn't rewatched this since since if, if he watched it ever, but if he does, he cringes because it is it is substandard it is all but like you're saying it's not just him it's like everyone comes out of this smelling like shit like nobody looks good in this movie except for oh man and i can't remember his name 
hold on, I have to find it because he's my favorite character in the whole thing. Um, damn it, 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 I can't find it. Briggs, Briggs, <laughs> Colonel, yeah, Colonel Briggs. Die. Yeah, uh, he's my favorite character in the whole film because he he has like <laughs> he has like six lines. They're all like yes, General, or like yes, sir, and like leaving. And then he gets the final laugh at the end of the movie. That was my favorite part of the entire movie. It was Briggs yeah. getting shit on the whole time, and at the end, he's like, "My day has come." Donald Sutherland's like, this must be a pretty nice uh, victory for you or something. Like yeah, that. and he just smiles. It's great. Anyway, he's the only actor that comes out of this looking looking okay. You're right. This story was worth $50 million. Yeah. Well, because like, of Briggs. Yeah. But, like, you know, Rene Rousseau isn't bad in this movie. It's just the movie overall is bad. And, and Kevin Spacey's not bad. But uh, his character is awful and just like. Yeah, and it's like, why does he uh, have red hair? And why is he? Is it so important that the character has red hair that you dye Kevin Spacey's black hair, his very thinning hair at that point, to to make it? I'm like, what? Who is making these decisions? The 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 word I keep thinking of for the editing, and and just the overall project of this film is tone deaf. Whoever is making this movie does it just does not know. just does not know what's good <laughs> like but uh it's hard it's hard to explain when you put all these things together like the fact that it's all during the day the editing is is poor and the uh, the perform performances seem a little half-assed it's like it just doesn't even feel like a real movie no it doesn't but well let me let me run some numbers by you so this budget, the budget for this film, $50 million. I saw, did it gross like 190 or something? It sure did. I looked at, I looked at it last night briefly. It almost quadrupled its, its budget. Um, and then also. That, that's what happens when you have every famous actor in the world, which is also the in, logic yeah, contagion. In the mid 90s. Yeah. Um, but so it, it makes, you know, all, all this money. Um, and then listen to this because this this is hilarious. According to Wikipedia, Outbreak topped the U.S. box office list its opening weekend with earnings of about fourteen Dude, I million dollars. This. this is like a, <laughs> a, this is a punchline already written. It's, I yeah. know it, but I'm going to let you say it. Okay, Damn, I'm just like mad because I forgot about it. So it topped the box office its opening weekend with earnings of thirteen thousand four hundred twenty dollars. Um, or sorry, 13 million and spent three weeks at number one before Tommy boy's release. <laughs> it, it took the juggernaut that is Tommy boy to yep. knock this off of uh, the top. It. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, that, that's like a perfect, uh, a perfect thing because you, you see, you know, for all the pretension of this being some sort of like, uh, realistic, uh, you know, infectious disease pandemic movie it's like yeah chris farley and david spade knocked it out of its uh number one place yeah so clearly it wasn't uh wasn't as crucial as maybe we thought they thought it was going to be yeah for real and so i was thinking about like what the movie's trying to say because it's trying to make all these important points but they're all kind of falling flat because again the performances are just sort of 
weird and stilted. Um, but it's trying to make this point about militarization of, of medicine and, and the sort of collision between the two and also sort of decision making at the highest levels uh, of, of our government um, and sort of Hippocratic oath versus the, the oath of service. Um, and that's sort of supposed to be symbolized between Dustin Hoffman and Rene Russo because she leaves to go to the CDC and he stays with the, the military, whatever that facility is called that he works at. Um, the, the army CDC basically, um, and these questions of like, what is it, what does it mean to, to serve? Like, who is that in service of the big thing at the big climax is the, the pilots deciding not to drop the bomb on the town and kill like 20,000 innocent Americans, that kind of thing after yeah, what a, what a heroic act that was right. to not do that. And, and how ridiculous is the scene in I guess it's in the White House or whatever the Situation Room, where you have all the the you know senators or whoever it is sitting around the table like, okay, so we're gonna bomb the shit out of this town, and that guy gets up and he's like, look at these pictures of the people you're gonna be killing. Everyone here will be held accountable if we do this. And I thought he was like trying to talk them out of it, but it turns out he's just like, we're gonna do it, but you need to take it very seriously that we're doing it. Yeah. The, I think it was, that was uh, J.T. Walsh, I believe. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, the, we have to get, you know, absolute support from the president. And then everyone here is going to, you know, if one of us goes down, we all go down. And it's like, so you're telling me after this film, if that's found out about people just like riot against the U.S. government because they were literally going to bomb a town of like 20,000 people off the face of the earth. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And and it's so particularized where it's like, it's about one, it's about Donald, Donald Sutherland's character with McClintock, I think his name is, uh, you know, he's like this bad egg who's, Mm. who's trying to cover this, you know, his past crime up, which, which was that they bombed him and Morgan Freeman did that, this exact thing to like a African village or like a, like a military outpost. And that just like doesn't matter, doesn't get punished, just sort of <laughs> goes by the wayside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh... oh, so the, I almost forgot. Based it, on the ho- oh, no, go ahead. It, so uh, the other thing I was going to mention about the scenes in Africa is they're in Zaire, which would then become the Congo, like a couple years after this. Um, so everyone there should have a French accent. That's all I'm, I'm going to say, <laughs> or you know, should not be speaking with like basically a south african accent anyway go ahead that's that's too complicated for the american audience yeah um can't remember what we were talking about lost it (laughs) Uh, my bad i just had to put that in there because as i was watching it i was like where the hell is this supposed to be how about uh cuba gooding jr when you first for me, he's kind of the the newbie, and but but he's you know kind of thinks of himself as a hard ass, and then he sees the uh, infected person, the people, and then just starts crying. Like that's a pretty abrupt uh, one eighty there, and. Here, here's another uh, Oscar winner in Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah, but um, I think don't most people agree that was kind of a fluke? 
showing his head. Yes, yes, I believe they do. Uh, because have you ever seen What Dreams May Come? Wet Dreams yeah. May Come? Um, yes. He's awful in that as well. That movie, I, I really like the concept of that movie. Yeah, I do too. But yeah, I agree. He's not great. I mean, he's he's okay in some things. He's just not in this. Boat, boat trip. <laughs> in this where he, his whole thing is like, I fly the helicopter super well and I have no emotions while doing it. Oh my god! The, oh, oh my god! The, the the sequence when Dustin Hoffman has to jump out of the helicopter into the boat, like onto the ship, and they play it as like such a big dramatic, like dun 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 dun, like action sequence. He's literally like two feet from this boat he's trying to land on. He could fall out of the helicopter and land in it. Right. Oh he my just god! Said, with with no grace at all, just sort of plops down on it. Yeah. Again, like there's no way you can take that seriously. Or, or maybe he's like, they'll make this look really good in post, and then they just didn't. Yeah, and I remember watching it, I, I was like, why don't they just let these actors ad-lib the lines? Just tell them what needs to, ha- like, the, the information that needs to be communicated plot-wise, and then just let them do their thing, because clearly they were sticking to the script, and the script was awful. Truly. Truly bad. Um, truly. Tr- truly, truly madly deeply bad. Um, the, 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 the biggest question I have about this movie is how did so many big names sign on for this? I mean, uh, Wolfgang I Peterson know. had Das Boot under his belt, which was a, you know, a big deal. But uh, I, it, it just seems very... Maybe they just knew this was going to be if they got enough big names in as big as the budget was. They just thought they were going to make a shitload of money or something. I don't. I, uh, I mean, they did. It was. Yeah, it was a huge box office smash. But I feel like in the, the mid 90s, that wasn't as difficult to pull off. Um, And now, like the box office won't be a thing anymore because there won't be movie theaters. Uh. As evidenced by Amazon, you can now go rent like movies that were supposed to be released into theaters. You can go rent them now on yeah. Amazon. I saw where the the Bell Court was doing a, an interesting thing. They had like um, the uh, a movie called Saint Francis, I believe. That's a first run feature at the local indie movie theater. Um, the Bell Court contacted the uh, distributor, Oscilloscope. And you can like pay the bell court and they'll take your email address and oscilloscope will send you like a, a password or something and you can watch the movie. So that's cool. I, I feel like that's really smart on the part of the bell court. Like you need to, you're no longer going to be necessarily like a venue. So you have to become sort of a facilitator for releases. Yeah, I think but, that's going to be the way to go. But how long before oscilloscope goes, Oh, all we have to do is, uh, you know, send out this little code and people can watch this movie and the bell court is no longer necessary. Uh, yeah. That's the other yeah. thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not perfect. I didn't no, but think it, it is out. a good idea. A temporary, you know, assuming this is a, a, a very temporary, you know, circumstance. Yeah. 
or I don't know how I don't know about very uh, T- temporary maybe but I don't know about the very part um, anyway but, I mean I'm thinking before the week's up at least right yeah I, I made plans for this weekend and I'm not <laughs> going to cancel them yeah uh, I'm it's kind of Panama City Beach it, it's funny you mention that because uh, you know we've been kind of just hanging around the house as we should be um, but we're not we're not like staying indoors all the time because that, that just seems like impossible. So we like go out in the yard and we like walk the dog around the neighborhood. We don't see anybody. So we're just kind of walking the dog. Um, but we'll walk past houses where like young kind of fratty boys live and they're still throwing big parties. We walked by one yesterday where they were in their backyard and they had like two or three beer pong tables set up, which is like not the most hygienic game in the world. Uh, so they're, they're not really, a lot of the young people around town, not really taking it very seriously. Yeah. It's the same way here. As far as I can tell, there's just, there's a real split between people taking this very seriously and people, I mean, literally people we know, uh, think it's a hoax, like how anyone could pull off a hoax of this scale, uh, they don't seem to stay. And like for what purpose? Yeah. I guess you could think of like purposes, like increased, like authoritarian role or whatever, but that's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so there's a, it it seems, it seems, uh, mostly to be very conservative people who will not admit that it's real or that it's deadly. Um, well, yeah. It kinda, so I don't know. It kind of gets to things we've talked about before, where there is just a certain segment of the population that no matter what happens, they will not be inconvenienced. They refuse. That's infringing upon. They'll say like, it's taking away my freedom when really it's just like they're assholes and they don't want to, they don't want to sacrifice anything ever. Um, it's, so, it's the novelty of it. People people think that if it hasn't happened before, it can't happen. And and I mean that's just sort of. But this has happened before. Is know, what I don't get. Like it hasn't happened in like a hundred years, but it's happened. Well, what, what the point is that it hasn't happened in their lifetime, and that is how people, you know, certain types of people define truth and reality. If it is not true in my lifetime, in my experience in my lifetime, it's not true. It's not possible. And I mean, that's it's a reductive way of talking about it. But it's I mean, in a way, that's sort of expected in terms of like uh, political conservatism. If If it hasn't come before, if we have not experienced it before, it cannot happen. Um, we've never had a social democrat run for president this is ridiculous it doesn't matter what he says you know what what bernie says we this this is impossible because it's never happened before we we have always lived in the castle (laughs) the coronavirus uh has never happened before it's never uh impacted me directly before therefore this I, i i am forced to look for other explanations it's a conspiracy. It's a hoax. It's all these things. Uh, just 
it's 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 hard to have hope when people cannot even agree on things as obvious as this disease you know yeah and like I, the what, what's kept me <clears throat> sort of hopeful which can be difficult for me to do is uh thinking about changes that should be and may like be forced into to happening uh, during this that may stick around thinking about things like some sort of universal basic income or um, changes to housing uh, as far as like evictions and things like that are concerned um, changes to the economy increased sort of respect and compensation for certain segments of the the working population. I'm thinking like grocery workers in some states being classified as emergency workers, because think about like how many people in your life are more vital to you, to your existence and continued existence than grocery workers, people that deliver them and and stock them and things like that. Um, So changes like that, I kind of hope stick around, but there are going to be other changes that will not, that will be sort of in the opposite direction that could, could also cause problems. Um, so I was thinking about like, we talked a little bit about degrowth last week and degrowth is something that's been, there are a lot of uh, proponents of it, especially people that were in, in sort of climate change movements and stuff like that. And now we're seeing sort of forced degrowth. And what I'm hoping for is, is sort of degrowth that is done, but that makes way for sort of new growth in a better and more beneficial to all mankind kind of direction. So kind of recalibrating this kind of growth imperative that all societies have toward a more, you know, beneficial direction um, instead of the way it's been going for the last few decades. Have you seen the emissions uh, statistics? Well, they've been dropping, right? Just drastically. Yeah. And, and you, you wish, you know, if, if everyone were on the same page, they would see this and be like, oh, we know how to fix this. Um, I mean, we don't, obviously we can't live exactly how things are right now, nor would we want to, but we know how to reduce our emissions. Uh, but unfortunately, and maybe this is the pessimist in me, this to me seems like, um, an unwanted calm that will actually increase the strength of the storm to follow. Like people are going, you know, people haven't, you know, been able to like go out and shop and, you know, businesses are scaling way back. They are going to just try to make up for their lost time when they get back uh, rather than understand how, you know, what a great thing this in, from this perspective, what a great thing um, these uh, measures have shown us. So we we won't be able to claim ignorance in terms of uh, you know what to do about cutting emissions. Not that we were ignorant before, but now we just have like hard evidence that this is what happens. Yeah, and there and there are a lot of issues, right? I saw somebody, you know, looking through. Twitter replies or whatever. And some old dude was like, you know, I've been saying this for years uh, and it's a common thing in uh, sort of live locally circles, which is, you know, one way or another, you're going to be forced to, to live locally at some point. 
Um, and, you know, it's, we kind of see that happening now and it kind of is, you know, thinking about like Wendell Berry and stuff like ultimately kind of a, a, a greater good, but then because of the way the system's been built for so long, it's going to cause massive collapse in other areas. If you think about like areas in the global South or even someplace like Las Vegas, which is built entirely around travel and tourism, um, like what happens there if tourism stops and then afterwards doesn't recover or just sort of comes back as kind of a trickle or something like that. Um, you know, and you think about like third world countries, like countries in the Caribbean where a big chunk of their economy comes from tourism. And if people stop going there, what happens? Does something replace it or does it just fall, you know, into the, the abyss? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard like telling. Ghost. Yeah. And it's just funny. Like a lot of people on Twitter are saying the same thing where we're seeing how this reveals how just completely imaginary all the systems that control our world really are. <laughs> you think about like the stock market and these things that are just in complete free fall. The government pumps in like $3 trillion and it's gone in a matter of hours, like that kind of thing. Um, it's kind of makes you think, and then they're, they're coming and being like, Oh, you know, all the stuff we said we couldn't do before. We're just going to say, you know, pretend we never did that. And here's a check for a thousand dollars. Although I'm still waiting to see if that happens. I don't think it will. They're going to find a reason not to do it. Or they're going to means test it so much that only like four people will get it. Um, you know, or like, hey, we're going to tell your landlord that they can't evict you and they can't collect rent this month. Like stuff that forever we've been saying like, that's ridiculous. We could never in a million years do that. And they're just like, oh, by the way, we're going to try to do that. Yeah. No, it doesn't really matter. It's it's interesting. What you just said made me think maybe this is a completely unoriginal thought, but it's weird how many parallels there are between like an economy or, or even more uh, directly the stock market has with some sort of like deity where it's like your belief that it exists and is necessary makes it so. So if like if, if people lose faith in the market, it just kind of goes away, <laughs> you know, crashes. It's like Tinkerbell. We didn't clap for it. No, it's going <laughs> right. to die. Right. And, and, but if you have if you have enough people believing in it all the time and and investing their lives in it, uh, then then it, it seems like the most real thing that there is. Um yeah, like, kind of. You don't understand. Kind of, There's a building that we go to 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 like appreciate it and track it. <laughs> right, exactly. And we have this giant bowl outside of it. <laughs> yeah, it's just. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm saying anything really that Norman O'Brown probably hasn't said. You know, he he sort of thinks our our uh, sort of fervor for religion did not disappear just sort of was displaced onto um capitalism essentially um, capitalism technocracy a lot of things yeah and it's like right now where are your technocrats where are your billionaires they're not really doing anything like this whole idea that like this myth of the benevolent billionaires if they didn't get all their money by being just selfish just avaricious fucking prolapsed anuses. 
my friend was telling me uh, he had a conversation with a, uh, a FedEx driver uh, at, at his place of business. And they were just sort of shooting the shit, talking about Trump's, uh, you know, everyone gets a thousand dollars sort of plan. And my friend was saying he didn't, he did not think it was a good idea because it's just creating more debt that, you know, future generations will be burdened with, um, which, you know, whatever. And the FedEx driver, or or my friend said, you know, basically how, how are you going to pay for that? Uh, and the FedEx driver apparently said, dead seriously, Trump's a billionaire. <laughs> oh, God. Unless I heard a hiccup. What the fuck does that even mean? Uh, so that, to me, what I got from it was that he's he going to pay it personally. That the president is bailing out the country out of pocket. What the f- I mean, the <laughs> thing is, billionaires could, but they're not going to. And also, I don't think Trump's a billionaire. I think we... If he is, he has like $1.00 billion. Have you ever, do you know the comedian Gary Goldman? Yeah. He has a, a, a long bit about making fun of how few billion dollars Donald Trump has compared to Bill Gates' uh, $70 billion. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty good. But uh, yeah, so... There's a, a lot of uh, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Will like that? I'm I'm upset at how stupid that is. <laughs> yeah, he told me, and I was like, "Wow, this is and and you know he's just he's a a capable, functional, you know, adult doing his job." Uh, so I don't I don't know what to do with that. That's fucking outrageous. I've never I've never seen the beat. Like, let's holy shit. Oh man, I my my whole Trump's theory, a billionaire. God, I would have fucking I would have like found a way to rip my own head off if I had been there and heard this guy say that. Like my my whole theory is like if if this happens and the government just starts sending people thousand dollar checks, Trump's gonna win like fifty states. Because there's no way that like it's just it, and this is this doesn't sound very kind to Americans, but so be it. It's like, you know, the button where you hit it, like the mouse hits it like a Skinner box and you hit it and it gives you a treat, that sort of thing. It's just that positive reinforcement. Like he gave us a thousand dollar check when we needed it. Why wouldn't I vote for that guy? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's Pavlovian, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're drooling already. Uh, and I would love it. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I would love getting a check for a thousand dollars. That would be, I would be so fucking happy if that happened. Would, if that happens to me, I'm going to donate a third of it to Bernie Sanders. Well, who his campaign is right now using donations to support organizations that are trying to help people that are struggling, um, which is, is very presidential. Too bad. He's, you know, he, too bad. He's not electable. Right. No, he's wink. a socialist. Fucking we've never had that before. Therefore it's wrong and bad. Gonna fucking kill myself. I fucking <laughs> hate that so bad. Uh so yeah, there's just it's just everything's bad. Trump's a billionaire. Oh god. I, that's like that's gonna those are gonna be my last words. Like I'm just gonna be on my deathbed, just like staring off, like just sweating, just like staring off into the distance, and lava will be there like Matt, Matt, and I'll just go, 
Trump's a billionaire and just drop fucking dead. Oh, speaking of dropping fucking dead and and going back to the movie, I if there's one part I did like about Outbreak, it was Kevin Spacey's death scene where he's like quoting the Wizard of Oz and, and like making jokes. <laughs> that and then he like has a seizure and causes Renee Rousseau to stab herself. Um, yeah, that that scene was strange because it's like he's he was just literally. He had a fever of 106, which I'm, I think would just like cause massive brain damage if I'm not wrong. And he even kind of makes a, you know, th- that was kind of a clever joke of like, oh, you killed a lot of brain cells. And he's like, well, so now I'm only as smart as you. It's like, <laughs> he's not going to be, he's not going to have like Oscar Wilde's cutting wit if he just had a fever of 106 and is like on the verge of death. Um, That's how smart he is. Oh yeah. He's just, he's very smart. It's the Trump's right, a the, billionaire. God. Damn it. <laughs> I gotta go outside and just fucking scream at the moon. Um, so, I'm trying to think if there's anything else in Outbreak. Outbreak was very long, too. You know, it's like kind of that classic two-hour movie thing when it was in, in like a full third of that is just Dustin Hoffman and Cuba Gooding Jr. flying around in a helicopter. <laughs> they fly the around like the entire West Coast for like an hour. The weapon. Hmm? They want their weapon. Oh, they want their weapon. Um, it's just two, it, two hours and seven minutes. God. Oh. And what about like, did you notice that the special effects were not very good? Like, I'm thinking specifically about the beginning when they bomb the, the African like outpost. Like the, the fire is kind of. Well, yeah, and then you like see the the bodies, Jewish. the bodies like melt, <laughs> they explode, and you see them like literally blow to pieces. And then there's the scene; it's like the world's worst CGI. It looks like Doom. It looks like the original Doom game on Windows. When he realizes that it's airborne, and he looks into the air vent, and we go into the air vent, and it just literally looks like a screensaver from 1995, <laughs> just kind of going through it and like turning. And then the camera comes down the air vent mm-hmm. and. Is a close up on Dustin Hoffman. He says it's airborne. It's airborne. It's airborne. I I, I kind of so at the beginning, the first line in the film, I think, is um, Hoffman and Russo in the sort of they're in their suits and they're in the sort of decontamination room, getting sprayed with the the steam or whatever the fuck it is. And he just turns to her and goes, "Your last day." They're like, "Is today your last day?" And he and you learn that it's because they're. You know, they're divorced and it's it was meant to be like a they don't talk because they don't get along sort of thing. But at first I thought it was literally the thing where it's like, oh, it's my last day on the force and then I'm going to retire with my wife. And then that dude gets his head blown off or whatever. I really thought it was that like 90s trope. And I was like, wow, they're not really being blunt with that at all. Maybe maybe the best example of that trope or, or the best movie that uses that trope is a, a not very often talked about movie called Spy Game with Robert Redford and Brad Pitt. I remember that. Do you know Tony Scott? Uh, yeah, it's like his last day, uh, Robert Redford's last day. And so he's he kind of uses that as leverage, you know, because he's like, <laughs> I guess, committing all these crimes, really. Um, anyway, yeah, that's a... I, I guess that's... Uh, true of Morgan Freeman in Seven as well. It's like his 
last week on the job. Yeah. But then he, I think he sticks around at the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Outbreak just, I, I expect, I don't know what I expected. I expected something more, but it's very, it's a very nineties movie. And the more that we like watch nineties movies and talk about them, I start thinking like, was the nineties just like a bad decade for movies? I feel it's like, like no wonder I'm so fucked up. Because I, I can think of like movies from the nineties that I really liked, but I don't know if they hold up very well. There's like a few of them that I think are kind of unfuckwithable. So you think about like American. There's some great movies from the nineties. Yeah, but Shawshank Redemption, Usual Suspects, uh, uh, Seven, American I mean, History Adventure. X. Was was American History X? Everything in nineteen ninety nine. White man can't jump. Magnolia, American Beauty, Eyes Wide Shut. I mean, uh, there's great movies. Uh, Five the Goes Show West. Was that in the eighties? Well, yeah, it's like I feel like the late nineties were different. Something happened between like ninety five and ninety six that just like culture took like a quantum leap and, and things Here's kind what of happened. more interesting. Biodome. Biodome came out in 96 and all of Hollywood got together and was like, like never again. All right, guys, <laughs> we, we've, we've been slacking. Listen, we've hit bottom. There's nowhere to go, but up from here. Right. No, yeah, it's just, it was making me think because this is just not a good movie for a number of reasons. And you would think well, like, at least you could salvage a good performance out of it, but really you can't except for the dogs. Sucks, what sucks is that movies that are, you know, giant in scope and, you know, full of recognizable actors and full of explosions do not have to be this bad. Like, look at look at uh, Armageddon, which was 98, three years after this. Armageddon is like fucking Citizen Kane compared to this movie. Or even like um, Michael Bay movies, like The Rock is so much better. Yeah, at least, I mean, it's it's mindless entertainment but at least it's entertainment this is just mindless like how garbage how fucking boring was that helicopter chase you compare that did you watch mission impossible fallout yet no not yet i'll, I'll get on that. Just, just go to the very end and watch the helicopter chase at the end of mission impossible fallout and compare it to the helicopter chase in outbreak. Like in outbreak it looks like the helicopters are going like 15 miles an hour it's like very carefully just puttering along and then it's like they took us they take like a slight left turn and dustin hoffman's like Whoa. <laughs> oh man okay contagion contain the, the far superior movie i've heard people um I, i've seen some people on twitter talk about how everyone's watching contagion right now, but they don't think it's a good movie. I disagree. I think this is like, it's not the greatest film ever made, but I think it's for one far superior pandemic movie to, to outbreak into all other pandemic movies, I would argue. Um, and also it has what I think are some really solid performances in this. I texted you after I rewatched it, um, to say that like rewatching this made me think like, I think Matt Damon might be one of my favorite actors. He's he's really good. It's a it's a I guess he probably has the most screen time in this one. Maybe maybe Lawrence Fishburne, which is interesting because Lawrence Fishburne. When's the last time you saw him the lead in anything? Yeah, been a uh, while. And it's just weird for him to to be the lead in a 2011 film. 
but he's great. I, I really like him. And, and I'd say the, the biggest plus for this movie is the ambivalence and ambiguity it seems to live in to where you like Lawrence Fishburne, his character. Um, he breaks, you know, he, he's maybe going to get in trouble for not following protocol. Um, and so there's some ambiguity there. You kind of like Jude Law's character, but maybe you're a little suspicious of him. Uh, and then, and as the movie goes on, you get more suspicious of him. And yet he gets bailed out at the end by these people who, you know, kind of follow him. Um, so, so you're left kind of in this gray area. Do you trust, do you trust your institutions? Do you not trust your institutions? Um, clearly by the end, there is some, the movie seems to say there is some, at least in this particular case, there's deserving trust in the CDC. Um, but that doesn't negate the points that Jude Law's character is making when he's on the, uh, news show with, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character pointing out the fact that he is lying to the American public. Um, so the, uh, the level of ambivalence that this movie is willing to deal in, I think is, uh, to its credit. Yeah, for sure. Um, especially in Lawrence Fishburne's character is kind of interesting because it, we, I feel like we're supposed to sort of like him, identify with him as a character, that sort of thing. But he does kind of use his government access for his own sort of benefit and to you know get his fiance or whatever out of Chicago. And that leads to this big thing. And, and John could not tell who that was supposed to be his fiance, his daughter. Yeah. Like it was very talk about uh, ambiguity. I was like, who is this? Yeah. And so it's that thing where he clearly did that. But at the same time, it's like, well, yeah, of course he did that. But. I don't know. It's like you say, the ambiguity uh, really does sort of pay off in the end, I think, because as we're learning right now, unfortunately, in an outbreak like, well, in a, I don't want to use the word outbreak in, in a pandemic like this, um, it's extremely confusing. And what everybody keeps saying right now in the real world is like, we don't know what's going to happen next. Like we, we just don't like there's no predicting it really. We can just try to do our best to kind of try to mediate things. Um so you get that kind of confusion coming through. Uh, it, just thinking about Lawrence Fishburne's character when he gets caught, he gets caught by John Hawks playing the janitor. John Hawks gets like very little screen time, but he's such a good actor. It kind of like shows how stacked this cast is that he's just sort of like this tertiary character that's there to be like representative of the every man that doesn't have the government connection. Yeah. I, I was uh, thinking earlier, I don't know if I've ever seen a movie with this many famous people in it. Like, I mean, Outbreak has a lot, but this is ridiculous. Yeah, and they're, they're all just dropping dead. Yeah. Like, Gwyneth Paltrow, yeah. Matt Damon, Lawrence Fishburne, John Hawks, Jude Law. Uh, Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet. Brian Cranston's in it. Elliot Gold. Yeah. Um, 
Dimitri Martin. <laughs> I forgot was he was in it there? until like I had seen this movie before, and when he came on screen, I was like, "Oh yeah." Um, and then like uh, I can't remember the the actress's name. Oh, Marion Cotillard. I don't know if you've mentioned her yet. Yeah. Um, Jennifer Ely. Um, yeah, I didn't know who that was. I looked her up. She was really good. Yeah, I've seen her in a couple other things, but I think this is she's she's basically the hero of the film. Yeah. Um, which it's an interesting thing that the film does. It kind of suggests that because of bureaucracy and general ineptitude, that the only way anything good can ever happen is if like a hero emerges who's willing to go against the rules and and you know break them and do the right thing. So we get like Elliot Gould's character breaking the rules and synthesizing the virus and that leads to this next step and then she skips the trials and just injects herself and uses herself as a guinea pig um or i guess as a as a as a test monkey we learn um and and you know saves the day uh and you know it's it, that's kind of a disheartening i think it's meant to be uplifting but it's very disheartening of like it takes rebels to get this thing done otherwise it'll just never happen yeah it's it's not uh, completely dissimilar to Outbreak. Yeah, Outbreak does it in a very stupid, ham-fisted, just just dumb as dog shit kind of way. Uh, Contagion, I think, is a little bit handles it a little bit more with a little bit more finesse. Although it's still it's it is the same kind of message. The I think the project of ambiguity and ambivalence begins with Gwyneth Paltrow's affair, like her character's affair Mm -hmm. in, in a lesser movie, she would be this sort of martyr, like the first victim. And it would be this, you know, it would end with a close up of a picture of Matt Damon's character and her character and their daughter. But it's like, no, it ends with him um, you know, kind of lamenting her, but, but with a with a sort of grain of salt because we know the the backstory, and yet he makes this decision to sort of um, help foster this relationship, you know, this sort of innocent relationship that her daughter has, that his daughter has with this neighbor, uh, with the uh, local kid. Um, and so yeah, there's. There, it seems very intentional that uh, the the movie seems intentional in its uh, depiction of like things are not just one way. There's there's a there's a, uh, a it's asking us to kind of wrestle in this gray area between uh, between. I mean, there's a lot of dichotomies that are problematized between, you know, like the like I just said with the their relationship but also with like institution versus individual rebel um and and there's several more ideas that are you know problematized like that yeah i was just looking because the for some reason in my head the uh the daughter's love interest i was like i thought that was timothy chalamet but i guess i imagine that um, cause he would have been, I guess he might've been a little bit too maybe, young at that point. Maybe a little, a little young at that point. Yeah. Um, but that way that just shows you how crazy the cast is. I had that in my head. Um, yeah. but yeah. And, and so we get, 
Matt Damon's character, just to talk about like how, how much I appreciate this performance is, is he does that thing where like he's in shock after she dies and they tell her or they tell him, you know, the doctor says in that very sort of doctor way, like, unfortunately she did die. And he's like, okay, well, can I talk to her? You know, it has that sort of in shock thing. And then his son dies immediately afterward. And what we get throughout the whole film is he doesn't have time to to mourn them he doesn't have time to sort of stop and absorb what's happened or maybe he's trying not to and so he spends the whole film in this like constant state of like high agitation of i have to protect myself i have to protect my daughter i have to get food i have to you know get a gun to protect us i have to keep the neighbor the horny neighbor boy away that sort of thing and then at the end when they're doing the prom scene that what ends up being kind of the final scene of the movie before we learn where the virus came from you get him you know, looking at the camera and seeing pictures of him and his wife and, and, and stuff like that, or just pictures of his wife. And he just breaks down just sobbing. And it's sort of like all this momentum that he had to keep going in order to survive this pandemic. It just sort of all collapses. And he's like, you know, I, I made it out the other end, but kind of what did I lose along the way? Like, <laughs> like I have time to actually let the weight of this hit me. And it just like crushes him. And that's I really and, appreciated that in his performance. And the the big irony is that those pictures that he's looking at are actually the you know ground zero for yeah. the pandemic. Which is a I could see people thinking that's cheesy, but I really enjoyed it. I think it's a nice way to sort of bring everything full circle. Um, and you know we get the thing of the the bat and the pig, which is sort of what people are speculating about uh, COVID nineteen uh, about its origins. Um, no one knows, of course. But. To what degree are they speculating that because of this movie? Yeah, and that, that's kind of what I'm what I'm thinking, and also because of Outbreak, right? Where yeah. the and then that you know that's the sort of urban myth about AIDS as well that it comes from a monkey, right? And there's that right. thing. It's like oh, somebody had sex with a monkey, and that's where the AIDS comes from, which is you know fucked and racist on a, a number of levels. Um, but yeah. I just I, I just really like that that moment in the film. Um, well, you can see, yeah, there's there's something kind of uh, uh, like Sisyphean in in uh, the prom scene, you know, like doing something, trying to maintain dignity in the face of this. Um, sort of absurd time um, and, and you you can sort of see Matt Damon's character trying to um, maintain dignity and, and you wonder to what degree he does that because his daughter is there um, like how would his life be different if you know if, if his daughter had died or, or didn't exist would yeah. he be the same? You know, would he be rioting with other people? Yeah. And his daughter, even when, when she shows up, she's like, oh, mom has, you know, Dan or whatever yeah. the dude's yeah. name is. Uh, it's like, you don't have anyone. And so they have that sort of mutual understanding. Although then she gets all angsty and is like, I just want to go bone my boyfriend. Uh, so well, she, she, I think she's believable. You know, she's not. No, yeah. Like totally. when, when the, when the boyfriend shows up, with flowers and her dad, you know, Matt Damon turns him away. She's just like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, 
You think That's she's just going to be like, you know, like, sort of. I'll cliche. leave. I'll leave the flowers. No, you should take those too. <laughs> and you know, we're kind of learning that. You know the 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 looting and stuff. Nobody's looting quite yet, but makes you feel like it's all in the way. I still don't know. Like we're still working off of a a toilet paper surplus that we accumulated before all this because we were like we were at the store and I was like we might as well buy a big package so we don't have to come back and get more. Turns out that was like my Nostradamus moment, and so we're still I, working off that surplus. And I really don't know like what we're gonna do after that. Yeah, I've I've benefited from the fact that my uh, maybe maybe a month ago I decided to do like a a real thorough cleaning of my desk, which was not clean uh, because it had been sitting in my house when it was not occupied for a long time. Um, so I have a surplus of uh, Clorox wipes, uh, which apparently are in high fucking demand. Oh yeah, everywhere. so. I'm stocked on some lemon-scented uh, Walmart brand, like uh, Great Value Clorox wipes. Nice. And, and just like, just to clarify, like, I know what we're going to do when we run out of toilet paper. So, you know, like, I get that it's not the biggest necessity in the world, but it is weird that it's one that you cannot, that is basically as valuable as gold right now. Like, you cannot find it. It shows, like, how ridiculous the things people prioritize McDonald's, napkins or just like the script for outbreak uh no i'm not i'm not that worried about wiping my ass i'm more worried about like food stuff because all the canned food's been raided now and people that are hoarding are just like like I, i feel like we should go back to like old school wild west justice and if you're hoarding we drag you out of your house and tar and feather you Yeah, yeah. You're ad- you're advocating for vigilante forcible- justice, <laughs> Texas <laughs> justice. If you're a billionaire, mm. we should take your money. If you're hoarding, we should take some. We'll leave you enough shit that we'll leave you the amount of shit you should have, but we're taking all of it that you're hoarding. Socialism, man. That's what it's about. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it's all. That's what that should have been Bernie's slogan. It's what it's all about. <laughs> but uh, contagion um just to you know to go back to it for a minute here um i was thinking about like the the sort of numbers that it run that throws at you and how those are sort of difficult to comprehend and you know we talk about climate change in the same sort of way of like the scale of it is difficult to comprehend even if you see it on paper and you take it into your head and try to understand it you're like still kind of discombobulated because it's such a a long period of time and, you know, incremental change over a long period, stuff like that. Um, But with these numbers, it's sort of like, I'm kind of a, this is like really morbid, but I'm kind of like a number of casualties kind of nerd. I like to go to Wikipedia and look at like disease outbreaks or wars and see how many people died in them. I don't know why that's a thing that I like to do. Um, but it's, it's really hard to sort of wrap your head around any more than like a couple of hundred deaths. Then we sort of get into numbers where they become fuzzy. Right. Um, or at least, you know, it's hard to, to sort of imagine it. So in this movie, I think at the end they say that, but at the time that they have the vaccine, 
something like 26 million people have died. Is that right? I think so. Um, which the, the, what happens with that is like, and it said, okay, so I'm looking at it here, 2.5 million in the U S 26 million worldwide. And, and what happens with that is like people start looking at it and they're like, well, that's really not that many because they think of like U S 325 million or whatever. Um, China's got a billion and he's got a billion. A lot of other countries have several hundred million. And so you see 26 million and you're like, that's eh, not that many deaths. Yeah, because all you're doing is, you know, computing the likelihood of your own death. Exactly. And that's kind of what's happening now, right? Like, if you're not old or immunocompromised, you're like, is this really that big of a deal? And, you know, it is okay. for all the reasons. Everyone's grandparents die. Who fucking cares? Exactly. Uh, it's like the, the boomer remover thing, which is like, I get where it comes. I get the kind of angst that it comes from and the anger and the sort of feeling of betrayal and all that. But at the same time, it's like we all know somebody of that generation that we would prefer not die of this. Uh, yeah. But yeah, just seeing those numbers, those are astronomical numbers, right? Like I forget. Let me. World War Two is what, like a hundred million or something stupid, crazy like that. Let me look. Let me look. It, know, up. it seems like you'd, you'd be the expert on that one. Well, I I forget because it's kind. Of, it's also kind of fuzzy in World War Two because you know not everyone is is sort of is documented. Um, but I'm looking at estimated 70 to 85 million, about 3% of the world population at the time, most of them civilians. Um, so yeah, I've seen people talk about with, with COVID-19 that we're looking at potentially world war two numbers. And part of that is because the world population is so big, um, at this point. So even though it would be about the same percentage, maybe that it still would be, you know, many millions more. And so I, I guess I don't know what the point of me talking about this is other than to talk about how I think that's kind of fascinating that we're looking at such astronomical units, numbers of people, not units like living people that have, you know, families and a soul and hopes and dreams and all that. Um, and it's just like hard to compute. And people, I think, are either either a they don't believe it, B, they're having trouble comprehending it or C, they don't want to think about it. Well, and it seems like uh, maybe the the name for this issue is abstraction. You know, yeah. how and, and statistical thinking is just categorically abstract. Uh, it does not take into account. If you, you think know, about like individual's life. let's look at like we'll just I'll just keep googling numbers and and using them to make this abstract point. Uh, speaking of abstraction, so we look at New York City's got about got like eight point one million or something like that, give or take. Uh, so that's what three New York cities, more than three New York cities worth of people, twenty six million from the film. Like that's that's up there. Um, I'm I'm looking through a book by Annie Dillard called for the time being, which is a great book that everyone should read. Um, but I know she has a lot in here about this issue of like abstracting large numbers of death. And here's, if you've read this book, you know, it's written in little like paragraphs that, that sort of jump from subject to subject. Here's just one 
very short paragraph. She says, it took only a few typhoon waves to drown 138,000 Bangladeshi on April 30th, 1991. We see generations of waves rise from the sea that made them billions of individuals at a time. We see them dwindle and vanish back. What will move you to pity? Yeah. And people don't even talk about the tsunami. You know, just these things so massive that people just, like, can't take them in. There's a passage in here, I think, where she's, like, talking about a kid, maybe maybe her daughter, talking about people as dots on, a, on like, a map or something. Uh, anyway, it would, it would have been very relevant, but I do not have it underlined, and I'm just, like, desperately thumbing through this book and I don't think I'm going to find it. And so, you know, I think it can be helpful. Well, it depends on your definition of helpful, but thinking about when you see these numbers, these like daily updated numbers from, from COVID infected and deaths and stuff like that. And this goes back to what you were saying last week about having, you know, empathy and sort of human kindness toward these people um, is don't see that as, as a statistic. Try your best to think of that as, you know, your neighbor, your friend, your, your aunt, your uncle, your mom, your dad, yourself, right? Sort of imagine, imagine it with that level of, uh, importance, because I think that's a level that it should have. And if everybody was viewing it that way, then you wouldn't have college kids throwing raging keggers right now. Well, it's, it's, it's related, I think, to the story in Contagion of, uh, Marion Cattard's character. Mm-hmm. She's sort of kidnapped and held in this village. And you, you see, she spends, you know, a good amount of time there and becomes as looks like a teacher to these children who she doesn't at first doesn't know, doesn't even know who they are really. But because she spent time with them and is e- even time against her will she's come to care about them and when she gets back and realizes that the drugs she was held ransom for um, or held hostage for are a placebo she just stands up and runs away and 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 we're led to believe she's maybe going to try to remedy that situation Um, but you can see like maybe before it would have seemed selfish what what these people were doing. And, and, and at the end, it still kind of does what her kidnappers are doing, trying to secure their, you know, their, their people. Um, but you see that really the only difference is that she, before she had not spent time with these kids and now she has, and therefore she cares about them getting, the drug and and that's the the movie seems to say that's kind of bigger that's more important than these uh, than the the grudge she should and is you know would be expected to hold against these people who held her against her will um but yeah it's it's uh like you said pretend like everyone's your neighbor yeah and we even see when they go to the 
the exchange when they're supposed to be exchanging her for the, you know, the, the vaccine, the first thing that the guy does who's kidnapped her is give her her dose of it. Right. So even though, yeah. you know, it starts he thinks out, it's a right. Yeah. Um, versus. And that's another, I've been thinking about that. I was thinking about it before the movie and the movie just kind of like spiked my, my thinking about it, which is that like when they do develop this vaccine, I'm increasingly worried that it's not going to be a right, <laughs> you know, something that everyone should take. Like what, what if they start, I mean, in the film they have a, a, uh, sort of, uh, raffle or not raffle. That's the wrong word. Like, a it's sort of like the draft that they did for Vietnam where they have the, the lottery balls with birthdays on them. Um, I wonder if that'll be similar to the kind of system we see put to use. Um, and hopefully they would like, they would, um, prioritize, you know, people who need it the most, but it kind of makes me think like whether or not they'll do that in Italy right now, they're so stressed and there's so much sort of, um, you know, overload on the medical system that they just kind of have to let the elderly die. And if the system in the U S experiences a similar thing, we will see that happen here. So I saw a a meme that was saying something like, uh, how to, how to get tested in America. If you're poor, it's find a rich person and cough on them so that they can get tested. Pretty much. And as we've seen with, you know, South Korea and these other places, testing is kind of the golden ticket. Like it doesn't fix the problem, but it definitely helps mitigate it. I'm feeling good, luckily. Feeling good in the neighborhood. Everyone else can just eat shit as far as I'm concerned. And also, Trump's, Will's, a, Trump's a billionaire. Oh my god! I was gonna say, and also, <laughs> Will's voting Trump in the fall. If we even have an election, I'm kind of thinking we won't. Now that's depressing. I just watched Contagion, but that—what you just said—is depressing. Yep. Soak it all in, baby. You know what? Trump's a billionaire. They want their weapon. God. So, I mean, going, getting back to sort of the movies, um, you know, like, like I said last week, this isn't about sort of telling you like, here's our guide to how to deal with this or like this movie's better than this one for helping us understand what's happening now. I don't necessarily think either of these movies is good for helping us understand anything. <laughs> um, I think maybe it, Contagion, I think has some echoes of reality as we're sort of, again, unfortunately seeing now, although we are way luckier that our disease in the real world is not quite as, um, it's incubation period is not quite as long. It's not quite as infectious and it's not quite as deadly. Uh, in the movie, they say something that's like up in the 30% tile or something die of the disease. Um, we're not there yet. Hopefully we will never get there. Um, so, you know, these movies are, if you watch these movies, don't take what they're telling you to heart that much, I guess. Yeah. It's like, it's like JFK. It's like, it's not the truth. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a Hollywood movie, right? Like it's not, reality is not a one-to-one correlation with these things. 
No, but it but it does you know it, it's I think it's good to think of movies as like cultural dreams. You yeah. know, uh, there's a there's a smack of truth in it. It's exaggerated or you know a certain aspect is emphasized, uh, and, and usually for good reason um, or for some reason. And uh, one one sort of question I have about these movies, and I think it's good to ask when you watch it, is like what is the point of making a movie uh, obviously you know infectious diseases and, and viruses are um, a, a major threat to human health and global health but just because something is a threat doesn't mean it's a good movie you know what i'm saying like uh, how many people die in car wrecks every year no one's making a movie about car wrecks uh, so I think it's when you watch these movies, a good question to ask is like, why is this story being told? Like you said, in Outbreak, despite it's, you know, just crazy, just shitty storytelling, it, it is sort of about the power dynamics. Like where does, uh, how is medicine handled? What is the military's role? in handling something like this what is the private sector's role what is the government's uh you know sort of special government specialists role in handling this um, and it and it's similar in contagion and it's much better handled but it, it sort of asks that question you usually when you have like say like a, a monster movie uh, a threat to humanity it's about um, preventing it you know it's like somebody does something that unlocks you know something in pandora's box and and we have to deal with it and and the lesson is about not unleashing that again think about like like fern gully sort of like that um but but that doesn't really seem to be what these movies are it seems like these are movie suggesting that it's something like this is inevitable and it's not really anyone's fault necessarily, but it, it is about how we handle it. Um, and, and if these are going to be inevitable, um, we, we need to have competent, honest, uh, institutions. It, it to me, it, it, it seems like that's what contagion is saying. Because like you said, if it weren't for these rebels within the institutions, nothing would get done. And so the institutions need to be organized in a way that allows for sort of creative uh, creative work within by individuals. Yeah. Well, well put, sir. That's what you um <laughs> yeah I, I like the idea of movies as, as kind of cultural dreams and thinking about contagion as you would think of it as being kind of a, a nightmare but at the same time it's very a word that i think of to like describe this movie is very kind of lucid if you think about the death scenes in outbreak versus this you have gwyneth paltrow and then her son dying like back to back super fast in very dramatic ways but it's when very eyes, 
eyes are just like black. It's so freaky. Yeah. And it's very quick and very like, like visceral, right? It just happens and then they're gone. Right. Um, versus, you know, Patrick Dempsey and outbreak, like trying to tell her where he got the disease from and then like, and then dying. Um, well, and then, and then the scene in contagion, uh, when they're just like cutting the top of her head off. It's like, it's to me, the casting is very interesting because she's, you know, this obviously very attractive woman who's usually in roles that are in the her being attractive in some way. And, and here she is, she dies within the first, you know, 15 minutes of the movie. And then you see her fucking scalp, peeled away from her brain it's uh it's jarring yeah and then they pull her you know it's meant to be they pull her brain out and the guy's like oh my god who do we call everyone um yeah i just kept like saying as this was happening i was like the goop didn't save her what's the goop the goop you know goop it's her, it's Gwyneth Paltrow's, like... Oh, 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 yeah, 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 I know what you're talking about, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's like, like an aging cream or something? I, it, it's like a whole company that just makes, like, bullshit kind of um, yeah. holistic yeah. products. Um, yeah, I saw people freaking out about, she's got, like, a Netflix special or show or something about mm-hmm. It's all this, like, new age bullshit. <laughs> Their slogan is, nourish the inner aspect. The inner ass what? Aspect. Nourish your ass. Nourish the inner ass. Fuck me gently with a chainsaw. That deep butt, yeah. That deep butt. (laughs) 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 That's what he... That's a... uh, (laughs) That's something uh, Adam says on Workaholics where he like... He's trying to fart, but he says it got stuck in his deep butt. Oh, the, God. Yeah, the deep. I'm, I just I hope that becomes the next like the next sexual thing. Like <laughs> we keep pushing the boundary on that, and the next thing will be like, "Hey, baby, let's go do it in the deep butt." That's deep butt. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we've, we've exhausted the shallows. Uh. <laughs> Is that what that book's about? The shallows, the Nicholas Carr book. <laughs> That's, that's about the shallow, but, um, yes, so yeah, you should read it with those expectations and tell me what you think. Um, so yeah, that's, <laughs> we, we went to his, uh, his talk and you should know that's exactly what he discussed. He had diagrams, an academic setting. Had a 3d model, 3d printed model. Uh, so I guess we're done <laughs> talking about these movies. Uh, next week. We're, we're sticking in around in the nineties, um, doing something a little bit different. It's a movie I think we've talked about doing and, and now we're getting around to it. And that is a phenomenon <laughs> from 1996 directed by John Turtletaub starring, uh, old, uh, Scientology bro himself, John Travolta. Um, so we should watch battlefield Speaking earth sometime. Oh Yeah. Yeah, Barry Pepper, great in that movie. Yep. Barry, what whatever happened to Barry Pepper? I feel like 
he was going to be big and then it just never materialized. He was in Saving Private Ryan, then he played Roger Maris in 61, and then he did Battlefield Earth and just like fell off the face of the earth. No, he, he did that uh, Spike Lee movie, 25th Hour, which was actually really cool. Hmm, okay. Uh, and he's really good in that. But but yeah, he did just sort of fall off somewhere around there. Fell off like Tom Selleck in a Selica. It's a Danny Brown line. <laughs> anyway, we're watching Phenomenon next week. Um, and it, I'm, I'm going to try to watch Instinct, which is the same director, same writer, Gerald DePego, DePego, DePego. I don't know. I'm going to try Gerald to watch it. Seems, it, seems, uh, it seems hard to find, but uh, in terms of streaming, but I'm going to try. Yeah, do it. I dare you. Fucking do it. I don't give a shit. I watch Instinct with Anthony Hopkins, Cuba Gooding Jr. Yep. So we'll we'll be talking about phenomenon next week. Um, stay safe. Wash your hands for at least twenty seconds. Listen to the podcast for at least an hour and twenty minutes. Um, stock up on beans. Can't emphasize that enough. Buy a bidet a if you can. Yeah, never, don't forget, Trump's a billionaire. Trump's a billionaire. Checks in the mail, He's baby. Yeah. Check Checks is in the, in the mail. mail. Be looking for it. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs>